Why do you think you're better than us? That question hit me like a slap across the face. My face turned red. I was so caught off guard that I didn't even know how to respond. I, I, I tried to defend myself, but I, I knew it was pointless. Finally, I just gave up and gave some sort of half-hearted apology and turned and walked away. I was so lost. What had I done that was so offensive? It was my first semester as a transfer student at a Christian college, and I woke up early to do my devotions. And I didn't want to disturb my roommates by turning on the lights. So I would go out into the common area to read my Bible and pray. This was apparently my mistake. This was the reason that they were angry with me, saying, why do you think you're better than us? You only come out here to be seen and to try and make a show of how spiritual you are. My face was hot. It turned fire red. I was so hurt and misunderstood. That was never my intention. I didn't even have a good response. I simply muttered something and, and walked away. Of course I had some growing up to do. But this was the whole reason that I came to a Christian college. It was the whole reason that I was doing my devotions because I wanted to grow in my walk with the Lord. It hadn't occurred to me that other people came to college for other reasons. And I was pretty sure that it was just their insecurities that were projected onto me. But now it was in my head. I felt stuck. I didn't have another good place to do my devotions. And, and I also didn't want people to misjudge me, but it was already too late for that. Now here I was, stewing in my own hurt and anger, lost in my own thoughts, and I was struggling to respond. Have you ever been there? Has there ever been a time in your life where someone criticized you? and their well-placed words landed like arrows between the gaps in your armor. They twisted the truth to try and get to you, and it worked. You struggled to know how to respond. Did you fight back? Did you tell them where to go and how fast to get there? I'm sure many of us could tell, remember specific examples and tell stories of times that you were deeply hurt. Maybe you even remember the exact place where you were the exact words, and, and the whole content. And as you think about it, the emotions come flooding back. Sometimes it's a word from a stranger. and Sometimes it's from someone close to you that you trusted. Either way, criticism hurts. And it's meant to tear us down. It's often a defense mechanism of someone trying to make themselves feel better. But no matter the reason, facing criticism hurts. But there's good news. Criticism may hurt, but it can also be an opportunity to point out the truth. You see, sometimes criticism is wrong. Sometimes criticism is not wrong. Sometimes we're in the wrong. But criticism does cause us to slow down and examine the truth. What is the truth of this situation? Sometimes the other person is wrong, and the truth is that you were right all along. But either way, if we can get past our own hurt, it can be an opportunity for us to dig deeper, to step back and look at the big picture, and to look at it from a variety of different angles, to look for truth. Now, 
We're in the middle of a series, and, and Pastor Mike has been encouraging us to look at the criticisms that Jesus faced during his ministry. And what does each one of these criticisms reveal about Jesus, about his character, about his priorities, about his mission, and about the heart of God? In today's story, Jesus does something good, but the reaction to this good miracle is hostility and criticism. And so this morning, let's dig in and see what we can learn. See if there's something in it for each one of us. Let me set the stage. The story today is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 1 to 18. Now, this story comes early in Jesus' ministry. Jesus has just returned to Jerusalem after some time in his hometown of Galilee. And as he comes into Jerusalem, he, he's, he encounters this man. For 38 years, a man has been unable to walk. He's been carried to the pool of Bethsaida, where he lies every day for years on end, hoping to be lowered into the water and healed at the moment when it seems like an angel is present. Here's an actual picture of the pool of Bethsaida today. It still exists. You can go and you can visit it. It's incredible. I'd really encourage you to go if you ever get a chance. And here's a picture of what it might have looked like back then. You see, during this time, there was a belief that on occasion, an angel of the Lord would stir the water of the pool, and the first person to get into the pool would be healed. Unfortunately, those who were the worst off had no way of getting into the water when they needed to most. And this was the case with this man. He was so close, yet so far away. And for 38 years, he hoped, and yet he was so far from hope. But then, one day, real hope walked in. You see, it's in this moment, on a Sabbath, Jesus goes to Jerusalem for a festival. And on his way, he sees this man. And he goes right up to him and he asks, Do you want to be healed? Some translations, and in the Greek it says, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be restored? Do you want a new opportunity of life, healing, hope? This is what Jesus is asking. The crazy thing is in this particular story, the man doesn't supply an answer, but Jesus proceeds to heal him anyway. And what follows, verses 9 to 16, is the aftermath of this event. And you can go on and you can read that and there's a whole lot of really good stuff there. But this is where the whole story turns. Something unexpected happens. Because instead of a compliment, they complain. You see, the criticism of Jesus starts in verse 17. And then they explain it in verse 18. The religious leaders, instead of complimenting, they, they, they step in and they begin to complain. You see, to recap, Jesus performs a miracle and he heals a paralyzed man who has been unable to walk for 38 years. And they, you know, maybe you've had a boss who gives you one of those like compliment sam sandwiches where it's a compliment and then a criticism and then a compliment. Maybe you've experienced that and you're, it's kind of backhanded and you're not even quite sure how to respond. But this isn't that. They leave nothing unsaid. This is double-barreled criticism. In your face, point blank. They come at Jesus with two complaints. Let's dig into the first one here. You see, 
Jesus is criticized for healing on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a holy day on which God had commanded them to rest. But rest was too vague. So the religious leaders thought that they should add some rules to make it more clear. And rules they did add, one upon another, upon another, upon another. And they had a rule for everything. And Jesus violated a couple of them. You see, you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath and, and healing was considered work. And so there you go. Jesus was out of the box. Then Jesus told him to pick up his mat and walk. But you see, carrying something, a mat? This man, they were accusing him of backing up the U-Haul van and moving everything. He was only carrying a mat. This is some serious nitpicking. But their agenda is getting in the way of the good thing God wants to do or did do. You see, criticism reveals the heart of the critic. And, and where is their focus? On the good things that, of God or on their own man-made laws and priorities? Verse 17, why are you healing on the Sabbath? Really? That's the first thing out of your mouth? You want to focus on that? How could you not be happy for this man? His life was literally changed in an instant in front of your eyes. And you care about what? You're focused on what? Seriously? I mean, if I had been in a week, if I had been in bed for a week, I would have been happy. A month, overjoyed. A year, flabbergasted. For over three decades, mind blown. Our first response here should be utter amazement, joy, dumbfounded. I mean, let's throw a party and celebrate this man. More importantly, let's celebrate what God has done and what it reveals about God's power and God's character, his joy, his love, the way he sees us. Man, that they care, that God cares so much about us that he would turn the laws of nature upside down and to completely change this man's life and future forever. But in this particular text, Scripture is mostly silent on the healing on the Sabbath, but this criticism comes up over and over again in the other Gospels in Matthew 12, Mark 3, Luke 13. But the key here is this, that the critics reveal their heart as being in the wrong place by focusing on all the wrong things. Not only by being negative, but by also refusing to celebrate what God is celebrating. God's saying, come celebrate with me. There's something exciting and good going on here. But instead, all they can see is criticism. But that's just the first one. There's a second there. I said, there's this double-barreled like anger and frustration. And let's look at the second criticism because this one's actually the main point of the text. And there's one that, that matters more and this is what they're really getting at. And it's in verse 18 is the one that we want to focus on today. When asked to explain why he was working or healing on the Sabbath, Jesus responds in verse 17. Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. You see, at first glance, it may seem like the people are upset because Jesus did something on the Sabbath. But verse 18 makes the main objection clear, and I quote, For this reason, 
they tried all the more to kill him because he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. This is the criticism that Jesus is is claiming to be equal to God and that he shouldn't be doing that. That's the root of their criticism, that Jesus is making a claim of divinity. This was highly offensive to the Jewish worldview and was punishable by death. As with the passage last week, so here it's helpful to pause and, and give us some consideration to the critic's point of view. Why might they be so upset if Jesus was claiming divinity? The reason is that the Jews were and still are very strict monotheists, as are Muslims and Christians. This means that we believe that there is only one God. The Jewish creedal statement in Deuteronomy 6.4, sometimes called the Shema, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the Jews did not believe in a multitude of gods, which the polytheistic Greco-Roman world all around them believed in. And this set them apart. They believed in one God. And then comes along this Jewish man who is educated in the Jewish sacred writings claiming to be God. And this was insulting to their faith and and they feel to their God. From their perspective, Jesus claims to be divine is blasphemous to their faith. And it's insulting to the God that they serve. And they wanted to kill him. How dare Jesus claim to be God? He was only human in their mind. This is preposterous. But this is exactly one of the primary criticisms in our world today. Lots of people love Jesus as long as he isn't God or as long as he isn't the only way to God or require anything from us. We all love Jesus as long as he's just a good teacher a moral person who helps and heals people. That's great, as long as he's kind of like this just moral, you know, grandfather in the sky or philosopher, any of that kind of stuff, people are okay with. But that isn't who Jesus was. I mean, he was a good moral person who brought healing and hope, but he was so much more. But we don't get to dictate to God who God is, or we're making God in our own image. You see, Jesus did not shy away from this claim. His response to the question of why he was working on the Sabbath was to claim equality with the God, the Father. And the criticism of Jesus tells us that Jesus understood who he was and what his mission was. The crazy part about this whole thing is, is that the Jewish religious leaders were exactly correct with their criticism. Jesus was claiming to be God. You see, the reality is that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord, as C.S. Lewis said. This claim are, are, are just too great to not be offensive if they weren't true. But that is exactly what Jesus was claiming. He, he was just slowly leading the people to this point. He didn't want to give it all up front. He was slowly leading them to this point of revealing his true heart, his true character, and his true divinity. He slowly healed people and he's teaching people and he's leading them. He was discipling them. And so the truth is, if you ever encounter 
opposition from someone that says that Jesus never claimed to be God, point to this passage. It's one of the places where, where he is pretty clear, or he is clear about being God. And it's not the only place in Scripture where Jesus claims this. It's just one of the first. It's the principle of first mention. And so it's an important one for us to take note. However, there are multiple scriptures, times in scripture where Jesus does claim to be God. In John 18, 37, when he's on trial before Pilate, or the many I am sayings in the book of John, where he reveals his character in a more poetic way. But Jesus is revealing himself and his divine nature over and over and over again. In fact, one of the most clear examples is later in the same Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 24 to 30. Jesus is much more clear about being the Messiah, and we read this. The people surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I have already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. He's claiming divinity. You see, the church didn't make up the idea that, that, he, that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus proclaimed such things. And, and he explains why he is doing so many things and he explains why he's doing what he's doing because he is God. So he's leading us to a very important point in this action of healing the man who was lame from birth. A man who never actually said yes to Jesus' question, do you want to be healed? Jesus reveals to us the very heart of God. You see, God is moved to compassion about the suffering of his creation. God is moved to compassion about you and I and the things that we are going through. And he cares about us and for us. And he does whatever he can to take care of us, even if it means entering his creation, taking on flesh and dying for our sins. This is the kind of God that we serve. God sees you right where you are in the middle of everything that you are going through today. God cares about you. And not only does he care about you, he loves you. You see, Jesus understood who he was and what his mission was. He was on a mission from God to reconcile the broken and the lost and to bring them back into relationship with him. However, just like his disciples, sometimes we're slow to catch on. I know I am. But eventually they did catch on. In Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus was more than just a good man. He was God in flesh who came to love, heal, and forgive. 
You see, sometimes our critics have something to teach us. Sometimes our critics are just setting up the tension for God to do something spectacular, for God to reveal something to each and every one of us. Let me give you an analogy. You see, critics turn up the heat, and, and, but it's the heat that best sears the food and gets it ready for the main course, right? You see, a critic is like a blowtorch to a good creme brulee. You, you see, they may think that they are coming in to defeat us, but God knows that they are simply caramelizing a sugar crust that makes the dessert that much sweeter. Oh, you see, without the heat, creme brulee is just a cold custard. Jello for old people. But, but when the heat is turned up, a 50-cent custard is, is turned into a delicacy served on special occasions at the finest restaurants. I love that sound of the, of the spoon when you just click, 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 crack, and you dig in, and oh, it is so good. Mm. But it's the criticism that makes all of that possible sometimes, if we allow it. You say, I don't get food analogies. Well, let me give you another real life example. You see, testimonies are proof that God is more than just a good teacher, that Jesus is more than just a good teacher. You see, Jesus has transformed my life. And there was a time in my life when, when I was walking through deep pain and, and grief and, and there was so much brokenness that led to depression and to a lack of hope. And I was in a rough spot. And many people tried to encourage me, but their words felt like platitudes. And I'm glad that they tried, but, but human thought and philosophies just didn't seem to cut it. I was stuck in this spiral, and my heart was, was, I was just so struggling. But then God, God stepped in, and he began this deep, deep work in my own heart and in my mind and the work only he could do. And Jesus began to bring hope that transcended my life and my struggles and my brokenness, and my pain, and my grief, and, and everything in my life. Because you see, no ordinary man has changed the world the way Jesus Christ has. But no good story starts with, well, my life was going easy, and I was perfect, and then Jesus came along and gave me a little extra boost. I almost made it on my own without him. No. No story starts that way. No movie starts that way. Your life doesn't go that way. No, every testimony starts with a time when we hit rock bottom, when our lives were unmanageable, when Satan was turning up the heat and our life was going one way and he thought he had us backed into a corner and, and we were struggling with sheer defeat. And then the critics come flinging arrows to finish us off. But God... Oh, and this is the good part. Then Jesus shows up, and he shows up in a life of a man crippled for 38 years. And he shows up in my life, and it will show up in yours. Because this isn't some mere human, good teacher or rabbi. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's not just some story. It's my story. And it's your story. And so today, I want to close with a question. 
Has there ever been a time when God, when the God of the universe stepped into your life and changed you in a real and a powerful way? Because Jesus is more than just a mere human. Because for God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he sent his one and only son, that's Jesus, that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to heal and to forgive. There will always be critics. And I don't mean to diminish the hurt and the wreckage that they've been in your life, but people may still doubt him. But it's our testimonies that matter because the proof is in the pudding. And this ain't just some mere pudding. It's creme brulee. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this passage and thank you for the things that you want to do in our lives. God, we come to you with all of our brokenness today and we lay it before you. God, would you be the God who steps in and who, who reveals truth out of criticism, who heals us and who does above and beyond. We may be backed into a corner, but God, God, this is the opportunity for you to step into our lives. And so we turn our lives over to you this morning. Whatever it is that we're facing, God, we give it to you and invite you to come in, to heal, to forgive, to reconcile, and to help us to encounter Jesus, the living God, you with flesh on. And then God, fill us with your Holy Spirit and send us out into this week filled and full of your presence, confident and walking in who Jesus is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for allowing us to share this story and to dig into some of the criticisms that Jesus faced. And I'd invite you to come back next week as we continue this series because I believe that God has something for each and every one of you. And I hope you have a great week. Go in the fullness of God, knowing that he sees you, he cares about you, he loves you, and he will carry you forth. Have a great week.